0: Welcome everybody to the very first episode of It's My Wrestling Podcast Indie Spotlight Series, a new series that I'm going to be bringing out hopefully every couple of weeks, shining a light on some of the amazing independent talents out there that maybe aren't getting enough eyes on them, aren't being talked about nearly as much, and who you really, really need to start paying attention to. I am, as always, of course, your host Chris Dees. Please make sure you hit subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, and follow if you listen on any audio platforms. Today's guest got a hell of a social media presence i don't know you've probably seen him around always in character always having fun as well always happy to break character as well that's what i like and i like wrestlers who stay in character but also like to come out of it to to thank their fans and appreciate their fans and that's something that really resonates with me as a fan he is of course the one and only mr gray wolf raven gray wolf man thank you for joining me for this first ever episode how's it going it's going well it's an absolute honor to be your first guest to have on your podcast so thank you I appreciate that very much um and of course I I appreciate you guys especially especially on the independent scenes you guys are just as busy if not busier than the guys that we see on tv I think people don't don't realize that I've spoken to quite a few indie talents just in the last few days Mm -hmm. who are like so jam-packed such busy schedules so I really appreciate you taking time out of yours to join me for this first ever episode like I said I'm, I'm a big fan of of all the major promotions, but I am also I also like to keep an eye on the independence and see what's going on, see who's on the rise, see who's coming through. So I'm thrilled that you're my first guest. Like I said, you followed me for ages. I followed you for ages. I always enjoy seeing you on, on Twitter and seeing your interactions with people and your promos and things like that. Um, I want to start off. I don't want to ask you the same old question that everybody always asks, like, how did you get into wrestling? Who were your favourite wrestlers? Anything like that. So it's always good to have different different
1: perspectives and different questions to ask. It it keeps yeah. you fresh, keeps you unique, and it keeps people entertained more, I think, because they're not hearing the same generic things over and over again. So I yeah. personally also appreciate you taking the time to not do that to come up with something formulaically different. That's
0: yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to wanted to make it as um sort of individual to you. And obviously you have a very how can I say a very visual style of wrestling of every visual persona very visual character. I think anybody who sees the thumbnail for this episode, will see that straight away. So rather than asking who your favorite first wrestler was or anything like that, was there anybody in particular that maybe inspired you to be that sort of character, that sort of visual style? Cause there's obviously there's been a lot of over the top larger than life characters in wrestling over the years. So was there any one in particular that resonated with you?
1: You know, just, That's because there's only one, I think, to be a disservice to all of them that have inspired me. You know, what I do is a very eclectic mix of everything I am, everything I believe, everything to which I'm drawn, and that inspires me. And it comes not just from wrestling. It comes from many different genres of uh, music and art and culture and literature. Everything I do is sort of encapsulate everything that I've become and the essence of my being is sort of put forward into my presentation so others can consume it accordingly. Um, so to say only one would be a, a true disservice. I mean, I, I sort of pluck a little bits from everywhere. For anybody that follows me, as you have for any duration, you know, I'm a bit of a historian. Um, I have a real knack for history and a real passion for history. I have a queue of books lined up that I've begun that I just don't have time to read as much as I'd <laughs> like. That are almost all medieval literature and um, medieval history. So these are the things I consume and I bring forth into that a little bit of, you know, a little bit of fantasy. Um, if you really take just genre, I, I think more than individuals, I think if you just take genres and styles, um, I sort of pick a little bit um, from each of them. And I try to bring forth a presentation of something I believe I would like that others can consume and they will like just as much as, as I do. I mean, yeah. I also, you know, take a little bit um, from theater. They, you know, of course, how can you deny the fact that um, people like Ian McClellan. Um, or Alan Rickman, yeah. or, or Christopher Lee, um, just the presence that they brought. And you could tell in the cinematic engagement when they walk into a room, and you see them with another actor, you know who the actor is there. Yeah, you know who the presence is. They had such a commanding, austere presence, just being who they were. And yeah. I try to bring that presentation also forth into, into into what I do. Of course, there are wrestling wrestlers that have inspired my style, and yeah. In the ring, and then I move from my move, my move set, and ones that I have studied. But I think more than professional wrestling, I've gathered a presentation that comes from uh, art and literature and culture and cinema and theatre and those sort of things. So I bring that forth, and a little more into what I do than the conventional. Just, I'm going to be a professional wrestler, brother, and I'm going to talk like this, <laughs> and then do that. I think that's a little. Um, I, mean, I mean, I can do that, and I do on occasion do that if I'm deliberately attempting. To deliver that sort of presentation um but for the most part i try to cultivate something from an eclectic source and bring about something unique that maybe they haven't seen before that is uniquely myself and not a replication of something that's that's already been done and i believe that's where my art is really expressed that's for
0: yeah no absolutely and you literally just from the first few minutes speaking to you today that that comes through the camera really really easily you know really quite eccentric and and really well spoken and I think maybe um do, do you ever think maybe that puts off some fans because not to be horrible to to wrestling fans but you know wrestling has never really been very highbrow has it it's it's always been very sort of like dumbed down for the masses I think would probably be a good way to to say it that's the first time that
1: I've ever been
0: asked that question, okay. especially on a
1: podcast. I've never, <laughs> and I know, and I love, I love, love, love the fact that that you're asking that to me because this is something that I, through trial and error, have, have experimented with. You know, I've I've read all of the class, if well, most most of the class literature from Milton to Shakespeare mm-hmm. to um, Canterbury. I've read the entire Canterbury Tales in verse, not the translation to prose as most is often taught, but uh, the actual uh, yeah. Middle um canterbury tells in verse. So I'm very well versed in the nuance and the expression of um, the English language. Um, and what I found years ago is I would just, I would delineate things in such a profound and elegant way that it would often be misinterpreted or misunderstood or just uh, not easily assimilated um, and processed by the mainstream. And I'd realize that the engagement I'd get on those things would very, very low, even though they were composed in a Shakespearean way, also, or even maybe in a way that Poe might compose um, literature. And I found that I couldn't dumb it down too much. I don't want to say dumb it down because it's a really bad way to put it. So <laughs> yes, I, I know to what tell you mean. Because not everybody's going to understand everything somebody does. For example, if something was in another language, it would take me a great while to translate and um, engage in it myself. Mm. So I reeled it back a little bit and I sort of find what works a really keen middle ground between just a shouting in capital letters, some three letter word, three, letter, three word sentences. Um, but I took it down from what you might consider the Shakespearean prose that I would um, at times often put forth. Um, so I sort of found the middle ground that I find what works and I try not to go too extreme on one end or the other, though I find the more common way of expressing yourself is really fundamentally um it gets more engagement and people can relate to it a little bit more so i wanted to what i have to be relatable to people i want people to be able to read it and not say oh i need to look at that word or i don't understand that or um what is he talking about because i don't know but some things i leave a little more esoteric and a little, a little more eccentric and a little more uh, metaphorical and open to interpretation sometimes i'll do that also deliberately. that's also a matter of putting forth creative license and it's if i'm doing that there's a reason for it and i want to make you think and this is all um mechanically deliberate um and it's through so much trial and error over the years that i kind of find a style that works in a way where people can absorb what i'm trying to relate without it being too lofty but not being too base where people are just going to overlook it and say oh this is just another professional wrestling idiot let me tell you something brother if that makes any
0: sense at all, yeah, no, completely, and um, and and that that resonates through um, through social media because, like I said, I when when I had the ideas, the idea for doing this series, and I'm not I'm not just saying this because you've joined me today. You were one of the first people that that stru- stuck out for me because I've you know you're memorable. You know, you you do something a bit different, something that I've I've been watching wrestling for just under thirty years, probably about twenty eight or twenty nine years, something like that and i there haven't been too many intellectual or well spoken or like i said highbrow those sort of characters so even if i was to just see something you've posted once a week or once a fortnight or something like that it sticks with me so that's i know it's it's probably a different kind of engagement but it's it, i i've still engaged well with what you're doing because it is different so it sticks in the mind so and
1: that's also again that's also very deliberate if i see somebody's doing something a little too similar. I'm not the one to emulate. I'm one to create. They say, you know, good artists create, great artists steal. Maybe I'm just a good artist. I don't know. Um, <laughs> because I like to be different and I like to be the one who, I like to be the curator of something new that somebody's never seen before. And I've had it where I'm not going to say, but you mainstream people have taken things I've done and used it on television and they say, oh, you remind me of oh such as I'm not going to say whom. But I've no, no, no. They took that from me. And, but what I do, because I'm the artist, they have to steal. I can always create. I have thousands of ideas that come to me, you know, daily. I, too many to recall, too many to write down. Um, I'm always creating, always coming up with something new, or something different, and I always have ideas. And if my partner, uh, Warwolf Creed, is watching, he's <laughs> the first to say to know, I'll say, I have an idea. And his always response is, oh, God. <laughs> because he knows some of the things I come up off the wall. Um, some of my, my best ideas, I think, are the ones that I've never brought to fruition because they're just they're, they're too bizarre, too eccentric, and are too much all <laughs> the too silly. For example, this is the first time I'm ever going to put this out there. This is just a sampling of some of the ideas. I get on a daily basis. This is, this is multiple times a day I have things like this, and I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, perhaps, because I'm so honored that you have me as your first guest. I was thinking, what if you had a faction called the Baker's Dozen, and there are 13 of them, and the main one, the leading person, his name is Baker, and you go around from promotion, promotion, causing mischief, causing mayhem, and you all dress the same, you all dress in Baker's habits, all with a little fake mustache on, but all <laughs> the Baker's look ridiculously different from each other. One from the, eyes. you know, we have a tall one and maybe a midget one, and then you know, a pair of twins that are bakers. And they all look, they're all dressed in identically the same thing. And they assault people with things like bags of flour and pies and cakes. And this is just one of the many ideas that I've told him before. And he's just looked at me and shake his head and birdies his face in his palm.
0: But these are some of the ideas on a daily basis. <laughs> Hey, I, I can resonate with that one. I've ran, I've managed three bakeries in the past, so I would love to see that. <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> I absolutely love that idea. Um, I don't think anybody else has ever had that idea, surely. But th- I, I think there's money in that. I I think there's money in that. So if any promotions are watching this, that's that's your next gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> the-, <laughs> the baker's doesn't <laughs> love it. Um, right. So uh, it's not just your your visual. Um, your, your the visual aspects of your character that's strong, but also obviously your your physical at- attributes too. Um, I always wonder with with bigger, stronger, more muscular wrestlers. Um, was that something that came from wrestling, or did you always have a strong build? Like I've seen some of your your bodybuilding and your weightlifting workout stuff online, and it looks looks pretty intense. But has that changed? Like, were you always like a, a bigger, stronger kid growing up, or was that something that's a byproduct of of becoming a wrestler?
1: The answer there would be yes and no. Um, curiously, it was a bit of a journey, a bit of a voyage, upon which I embarked at a young age. Um, now, the reason I had begun all that because I knew, you know, especially in the older generation wrestlers, you saw how big and how strong they were. So, when I was young, it's, of course, you see these wrestlers. Well, I have to be big and strong. So, one of the first things I did was got into weightlifting and got into being you know, strong. Yeah. Um, curiously enough, I, and I, when i begun, it was years ago, I was a, a younger child and I had a barber with a concrete weight you'd slap on there and a very poor manufactured bench, but I, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew if I wanted to be a wrestler, I had to be big and I had to be strong. So this is what I have to do. Eventually my trials would lead me to a little hole in the wall gym in Trenton, New Jersey, called Man's World's Gym. Now, this gym was specifically a gym run by a golden age bodybuilder named Joe Dodd, who actually competed against Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno, beat, beat Lou Ferrigno uh, in a bodybuilding contest. Yes. Wow. Yes. they yes Yes, Lou his Um, So, this is the man I had the privilege of learning under. And strangely enough, I'd gone, gone to the gym when I was younger. And that's a path that just by circumstance, because everyone's sort of, you know, when you're around people, you become who you're around. Mm -hmm. Well, since this was a gym specifically for bodybuilders, we had a world-class powerlifting team also. There were people setting world records in powerlifting. But everyone in this gym was serious. And it was what you'd call a hardcore, hole-in-the-wall dungeon sort of gym. But everyone there was huge. Everyone there was in shape. And almost everyone was a bodybuilder competitively. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that's sort of before I had begun wrestling. Well, I started this journey because I wanted to be strong to be a wrestler. But my journey led me to becoming a bodybuilder. Which, um, and I had so, several bodybuilding competitions years ago and then that journey had led me to training with a powerlifter and I would never competed as a powerlifter but I had gone to many of his events and trained with him I mean, it, it's the only reason I hadn't it was, the circumstances arose I was going to and then for some reason I, I couldn't um, but I was training to powerlift also so that sort of led me into that eventually wrestling came a little bit later than that so sort of everything uh, was cyclical came full circle you no, know, I'd started because I wanted to be a wrestler, which led me to be a bodybuilder, a powerlifter. I'd even gone to one of his strongman competitions with me. So, and that had led me all back to laying a foundation and a solid base. So when I got in the ring, I had already established a body and a physique um, that I believe a good professional wrestler should have. So, uh, being physically remarkable in some sort of way. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. You don't have to be a powerlifter. You know, just yeah, yeah. having something to stand out. And this was my thing is having... Uh, more ascendant physique
0: hmm. yeah so do you think maybe i don't know when when was that then what what year what years would it have been that you were getting into your training would it i'd have been- begun
1: training um i started at Mans. i'd started much younger um <laughs> when i when i'd begun just lifting weights and fumbling about and hoping that some muscle would sprout from the little bit of exercise i was doing um i'd begun man's gym back in 1999 Right. That's just when I started at the the bodybuilding gym.
0: So yeah, I'm just trying to think. That's that's probably <clears throat> around about the time that the 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 big big men, the big muscular, those yeah. those powerlifter sort of wrestlers were sort of being phased out almost a little bit at that time, weren't they? Especially in 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 the the major promotions like WWE, because you started to have the the smaller guys like Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, people like that starting to break into the main event scene. So do you think that maybe you you came into wrestling at, at the wrong time, maybe? Maybe if, obviously, you, you can't help when you were born, obviously, but maybe 10, 15 years before that, would you have had more of a chance at maybe breaking through because of your your size and your build? You no,
1: know, I've often reflected on that. And I like to hesitate for a moment on calling, you know, a Chris Benoit or Lillegrado a small arm. Um, yeah. They just weren't tall. <laughs> i, I yeah. the not the best example of going small. They weren't tall, but they yeah. were they were immense. And Chris Benoit was, his physique was phenomenal. Yep. Um, he just wasn't a taller guy. And I feel like he's being classified as small because I'm about the same height as a Chris Benoit and Eddie Brero. I'm not very tall. Hmm. Um, I'm under six foot, for those who don't know. And that's just sort of a, something I've begrudged uh, my genetic predisposition for years, saying, How dare you mean that's not something I can work on and train away but um, I'd hesitate to call them small. But um, I feel like perhaps that could be the case. But then again, I embrace what I am and what I do. And I don't want to adapt my style because I'm inspired by that earlier style. And I feel like that's really what a lot of my fan base is drawn towards. And I've doubled down on that saying, no, I'm not going to start doing flips. I'm not going to start doing rows. I'm not going to start doing choreography because that's what happens to be in. I've never followed the in crowd and I've never followed trends. I've always been um, true to who I am. Yeah, and on what I believe is proper, and I believe that that uh, is conveyed to the card and they can appreciate that. And I believe that it's because uh, either if I didn't do that, it'd be disingenuous.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I feel that people see through that immediately. They see when somebody's just copying a trend. They see, oh, well, this person's doing it, I must do it too in order. No, that's silly. I, I really believe firmly in what I do, and I tell people I wrestle in a style that is WWF, maybe you know, um. Mm-hmm. UWF, WWA, 1987. That's what I do. Maybe with yeah. a little bit of new yeah. things here and there, um, a little, a little look, as far as my physical wrestling style, it mirrors those from that era because that's what I enjoy and that's what I want to relay to people. And I believe that in me not conforming to the modern trends, not conforming to everything everyone else is doing, I feel that also makes me stand out in a way and it makes me more pure for who I am. Yeah. Um, but, do I think I' reflect on? maybe I would have It's it's perchance possible because I train in a way that they've trained. I, I wrestle a style that they have wrestled, but perhaps not because at the time, Vince McMahon didn't want anyone under six, one or six, two. So that also could have worked against me also. So I'm privileged to be yeah. in this generation where heightism isn't as I collect like call it height privilege, isn't as um, <laughs> prevalent as it once once was, even though it still exists. Of course it does, and I believe that it is. Sort of a bias, and I believe there's a reason for it, but I also believe it to be unfair to some people. So it's it's a double edged sword. It's a yes and a no. Perhaps I would have been more successful because of my style, because of my build, um, because I'm about five foot ten, and I weigh about two hundred sixty pounds and I have abs. You know, that's something <laughs> you don't see um, much in the modern era. No. Um, it, it really is.
0: Um, no, 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 no. You, you, You're right, though. I completely agree. with well, there, there is no point, just following the crowd anymore because the these days sorry to keep using wwe as an example but it's it's just the first thing that comes to mind there are so many guys there trying to break through and get to the top of the card and the the top of the roster but they're all so similar and that's why they can't stand out they can't get that push they can't get that break on the independents yeah they're probably more likely to get that break but there are so many people just throwing super kicks left, right and center and doing spot fest matches. And they all just blend into one eventually. And they don't stand out.
1: Like, yes. Well, that's, there's a reason for that. Also, they're being trained by corporate. They're not yeah. they're giving you any freedom. That's, that's a whole different subject. I'm not sure I want to touch on because there's too <laughs> many, too many toes that are too sensitive to step on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I not to shromp on. Um, <laughs> I think formulaically, they've gotten away from what worked for them in the past. And I, I feel that like everything's so scripted. Now, I'm not a fan. I don't really watch. I, I try to keep abreast as to what my friends are doing because I have many friends that work for them. You know, um, Damien Priest, someone I came up in the business with. He was like, my first real match with Damien Priest years ago. Um, Matt Riddle, you know, it's from I Across Impact and across Ring of Honor and across WWE and now AEW, I have many friends that work there. Um, and, you know, the ones that are happiest and getting the most over are the ones who have the greatest creative freedom because it's not scripted for them. You can tell, and this is an exercise I do with, with students that, that I work with. I have, I call it the menu exercise, you know, because I know that um, the Vince McMahon, if you're trying to do that, he's going to put a script in front of you and whatever it is, no matter how silly or base or mundane, or trivial, or whatever drivel he puts in front of you, you're going to have to read it with some sort of degree of enthusiasm as if you were speaking these words yourselves. And often, the very just the mechanical, robotic, just, it, it, it's not any life to these words because they're all read and read by the same people. So, it's I have an a, a, a exercise I'll do with students where I'll give them a menu. And I will say now, Vince McMahon gives you this menu and he wants you to read it, how are you going to read it? I want to see you read it happy and I want you to transition into sad. Go. Because whatever he hands you, you're going to have to read and it's just silly. I'll have the hamburger. With cheese, (laughs) no pickle. And then... Then I want a side of French fries, and you better not give me ketchup. You know, whatever it is he has, you say it's going to be something silly. But I'll have them read off a menu and have them try to give some sort of character because yeah. that's unfortunately at the highest level that's what's happening now. Is you're just given a script and told, me, "Here's the words, go." Yeah, and I feel like it really limits your expression. I feel like that's why people are really drawn to an AEW because they're letting their character shine through, just the way Vince used to let his character shine through. Before everything was so corporately scripted, a Roddy Piper reading off of a script would have been ridiculous. Roddy Piper wouldn't have been Roddy Piper.
0: No, no, Steve Austin. We'd never have had Austin 316. We'd never have had the rock.
1: And what it worked worked, and manufactured iconic figures in the past was just letting people shine through. Yeah. And do what they do because they'll do it more with passion when I'm given a script. (laughs) As much as I try. Unless I'm seriously relating to what the words are being said, it's hard to relate to any sort of passion. That's why you see just these droll promos and everybody's so mechanically the same. And, and you see there's sort of vessel A is the same as wrestler B with a different outfit, and vessel B is the same as vessel C with a mask. And it's just, uh, that's, I and mean, here's another thing I, I try I, I tell people to get them to really understand this perspective is that. Give me a Hulk Hogan promo. Well, everyone knows that even if they don't do the best. Well, let me tell you something. You know they could do a Hulk Hogan promo. Macho Man, give me a Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah, everybody could do a Macho Man Randy Savage. And then I'll tell you, do a Roman Reigns. How do I do? How do I do a Roman Reigns? Um,
0: yeah.
1: Do a Brock Lesnar. Oh well, how do I do a? Because everybody's so similar and identical that. But... Yeah, you can't even emulate the personalities because they haven't been allowed to express the extension of the personality into the work, and I find that disheartening and sad. And I feel like that's what's created sort of a bland, um, almost mannequin sort of. It's like watching mannequins. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: And that's not the fault of the wrestler because I know how hard they all work. They put an immense, immense amount of work. They're just being told what to do and how to do it, and, and it registers and and resonates with the fans. It certainly does.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right. I feel like we're going to get stuck down a rabbit hole of (laughs) talking about WWE. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop mentioning, well, sort of stop mentioning WWE things. I want, but you, you mentioned um, a couple of names in there, like Matt Riddle and uh, Damien Priest. I'm glad you mentioned those because I wanted to speak to you um, about Monster Factory. Obviously you, you train there, one of the most well-known and well-respected schools in the industry guys like the ones that you've just said there, uh, as well as Seamus, Big Show, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, The Godfather, loads of Hall of Famers. Uh, what was your time there like? What, what was it like being a part of what is a world-class training facility?
1: Well, that's a loaded question. I almost separated it into two distinct categories, because when I had first gone to Monster Factory, it was a Larry Sharp was still alive, and um, a different person that I'm not going to mention was running, running the facility, along with... Um, former ECW referee, Jim Molyneux. So those are my two primary trainers. And I'm not mentioning him because I, he doesn't like his name mentioned. And I, right. I'm going to honor that. Um, he was a good trainer for what it was, for, for what he taught me. Um, but when I had first gone to the Monster Factory, and this is it's much different now, it was a warehouse in New Jersey with no heat in the winter and no air conditioning in the summer and one of the hardest rings I've ever bumped on. And it was, we went hard, we opened with hard chain wrestling. You know what I mean? If we didn't yeah. lay it in, it was, we were yelled at, you know, lay it in, he can, he'll be fine. He can take it, you know. So it was really hard regimented um, sort of training there. Um, now what the Master Factory has evolved into now, which I'm a part of off and on still. Um, when I can get there, I do. Um, my schedule has been very tight lately and I can't get there as much as I'd like, but, um, I believe it was 2011, Danny Cage took it over. Now, anybody who's been following their social media, the place is remarkable. It's next best thing to maybe even better than in some ways the, uh, the training facility down in Florida WWE has. Mm. Um, yeah, you yeah, two rings, um, full weight lifting facility, um, anything you want for audio or visual production, he has there um, and it, it's remarkable. And to be around such people, of such talent in that, that caliber and to see the way Danny runs, I'm so happy with what Danny's done. With that place, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, some of the best experiences of my life, you know, you you learn and you grow with these people. Especially when I was very early on, the people you train with sort of become really your brothers. because um, is almost like going to trench warfare together. You know, you're going to boot camp together. Especially the way we were trained, it's. it's I feel like now with the most training sealers, it's a little. We have to be a little more lenient. We weren't given that privilege. We were yelled at. We were screamed at. We were made to do things hard. It was completely different atmosphere. Yeah. But what we have now is something so remarkable. I would send any student in the world and I've developed and cultivated so many outstanding, lifelong relationships with people that I do call my family, that I do call my brothers um through this place. Just a very, very good place to train. It's a very regimented training now in, in a different way, you know, they have the set drills that they do. Yeah. And um it's intense and it's hard. Um but it's worth it if you want to become a professional because you, could, you can learn anything there. If you want to be a referee, you can learn to be a referee. If you want to be a bellkeeper, you can learn to be a bellkeeper. If you want to be behind the <laughs> scenes, we teach all that. Um If you want to be a ring announcer, we also have you know we have commentators. Um, Ian Rickabani for Ring of Honor is, is yes. one of our... our we, I mean, we have people everywhere. We just had a referee sent down to Florida by NXT. Oh, wow. One of us. I'm not sure if I'm permitted to mention whom yet, but I'm very proud and worked very hard as rest. I'm very, very proud. So if you're watching, you know who you are and um, <laughs> my congratulations. Um, but yes, it comes with my highest recommendations. It's the most excellent place to be.
0: you mentioned before um a- one of the earlier questions you mentioned some of your students and and what you like to teach them so is is that what you've been doing when you get down to the monster factory are you are you actively training people there or is that something that you're doing more regularly
1: I was for a degree I was a coach down at monster factory for a while I'd gone through some personal issues where I I couldn't make it there when I do go back there it's more to train myself um in the ring but I'll give advice and guidance to the students that they ask. I, I don't have the position to coach oh. anymore. I'm not coaching down there. I don't want people to think I'm coaching down there right now because I'm not. Um, but I do help students elsewhere. I've helped uh, uh, with uh, training at, uh, I don't know, he, he doesn't call himself Cheeseburger anymore. It was CB, I think. Oh, was yeah, yeah. CB, yeah. Yes, from the worldwide dojo out in um, Bristol, Pennsylvania. Okay. I've assisted him with many of his students along the way um i'm holding um right now character development workshops i don't like to call them seminars it's a little bit different because i'm taking i'm not just speaking i'm having people take notes this is really a hands-on thing where i'm trying to take first one from point a bring them along the journey and see where they end up at point b and it's really putting the work along the way and taking them in these workshops and what i'm teaching now is really because uh, i've done um seminars before focusing on fundamentals and focusing on sort of more in-ring work and just the generic overlap of different things people can work on. This one, I've really had so many requests, oh, I want to develop my character better. So I eventually doubled down and I said, oh, sure, I'll start doing characters. This one is really about the character development um, and how to infuse everything you do with character, how character bring out everything you do. And I have drills that accordingly I, I use to help enhance people's ability to do this. So that's, that's one thing. So I am doing those here and there. And I just, I offer guidance where I can. I'd, I'd like to be more actively involved in coaching again. Very, very much enjoyed coaching. I love planting the seeds into the future generations, seeing them sprout and seeing them grow and germinate and become, you know, beautiful plants, all their own. You know, blossoming into these wonderful wrestlers. And I've seen so many that I've helped along the way. I've never taken one student and trained them from the ground up. I've always been a more supplemental coach. But right. to see them, somebody take advice that I'd given them a taking a a move or taking a gesture or anything and utilize it and bring it about to their own way and I think it's a beautiful thing and that's ah I'm very proud of you. You know and, and it makes me very happy to see. I love when they succeed
0: yeah absolutely no it's great to it's great to see that you're already giving back while while you're still actively competing as well because obviously it's normally something that you tend to do either towards the very end of your career or or after so it's 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 beautiful to see man it really is that you're already sort of like imparting that wisdom and trying to help the next generation come through it really is um i wanted to ask as well um i know we sort of touched upon the social media side of things earlier and how you've got a really strong social media presence especially especially in terms of your your followers like your follow count as well because you've you've got quite a quite a healthy amount of followers I think around six or seven thousand so for, and for an independent talent that's that's quite impressive you know a, a lot of the a lot of the indie talents that I've spoken to or seen are sort of down in the sort of the hundreds up to a thousand so you've obviously built a really strong following and a really passionate following as well how important to you, well, in fact, no, sorry, no, not just to you, because we've, we've mentioned that. How important do you think social media is in this day and age? Because obviously with social media comes the good and the bad. We see, sometimes we see too much. We see too much into a wrestler's personal lives. And sometimes that can, well, it can, it can affect how things play out on TV, but it also, there are a lot of people who obviously struggle to separate the, the wrestler from the person. You know what I mean and uh, uh, it, it sort of I don't know how I can word this without insulting people but I'm trying really hard <laughs> um, some people get a bit too obsessed with wrestlers don't they they feel like they know them so 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 what how do you feel about social media and the part that it's played especially in the last few years?
1: I think that's a multifaceted question um first, do I think it's important? I think it's not only important I think it's imperative mm. um seeing in today's uh, coastal dynamic without it would be, I, I feel, nigh next to you know, impossible. Um, every Everyone is under such scrutiny. Everybody sees everything. And, and I believe having that platform gives investors, especially the ones that don't have a corporate finance backing to begin with, um, a platform to speak and express their art. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if you're not utilizing that in some way, I, I feel like you're a fool. Why would you not? We have a tool at our disposal that generations before have never, never, never had. Think about it. We don't have to go see local bands. You'd have to see the posters plastered on telephone poles. You have to go (laughs) out with a staple gun and smatter them all over the place and tell your friends to tell your friends to tell their friends, you know, slipping people notes, putting CDs in in people's lockers, you know, anything you'd have to do. Now you click a button. It's there. you Spared yourself all the exhausting legwork that we had to do in, few, in uh, previous generations, and, and so I think it's such such a remarkable tool to utilize. But like any tool, nonetheless, it carries its favors and it carries its burdens. You know, if you take a hammer, you can smash a nail into a board and smash that board into a wall, and you just utilize that tool effectively. But for any carpenter. Ask them what happens when that hammer strikes your thumb.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like any tool, it's, it's how is it utilized? Yeah. Um, and you're right. You know, social media can be your very upbringing. It could be what rises you to the top. but in the click of a button, snap of a finger, in the same breath, the wrong thing can have it be your very unmaking. So, and the stronger the tool, the more gravity it carries. You know, a hammer is going to have a lot different gravity than a jackhammer would. Mm-hmm. And then a jackhammer not nearly as much as a bulldozer, you know. Yeah. Social media can be that bulldozer. Either it can construct, help you construct something remarkable, or it could be the very thing that bulldozes you to the ground. Because you've used it in the wrong way so social media has definitely made things interesting it's definitely changed the game for a lot of people i'm grateful for it because without having any sort of corporate backing i have a platform that i can engage my audience and promote things i think that's a spectacular thing to have um well we didn't even have it a generation ago yeah. um but by the same token everything you do is under scrutiny and you have the banter back and forth of people communicating and saying both the good and the bad, and you have to tread with caution now, so much more caution than before, because um, one wrong, wrong word, one wrong action, and you'll no longer have a social media because no don't want to speak. With you. you just have to be careful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've seen, we've seen careers ruined. And like you say, we've also seen careers catapulted, because off the top of my head, I can think of people like... Um, <clears throat> zach Ryder, somebody like that who really used that platform to get noticed to make the higher ups within the company notice them he did things on youtube when he wasn't being utilized by the company and then boom all of a sudden he was on tv every week he was a champion so yeah you, you you're absolutely spot on it can do so much good but you are constantly under the eye of big brother now everybody is watching every fan is watching even if they don't like you You know, they're they're watching to see you slip up so that they can scrutinize and try and ruin a career. That's unfortunately the day and age that we live in. You know, people are always trying to, certain people uh, are always trying to bring others down. And and social media, unfortunately, is a great tool for those people. So, yes, absolutely a a double-edged sword. Um, Right, I've got to ask you, I've got to ask you something that we spoke about um, a few days ago privately when we were setting this up talk to me about hot sauce because this is the exciting one for (laughs) For everyone (laughs) everyone everyone listening now just
1: take a moment i'm gonna give you a brief pause after i say this i want you to (laughs) type in so you remember hashtag snack season (laughs) all right take a moment i'm going to repeat it now just for anyone listening write it down you have a moment here hashtag snack season do it on twitter and it's going to bring you to somebody who's been a friend of mine for years, who, uh, his name's Rich Steve. And he's been in wrestling for many, many years. And now, the past two years, he's been making his own hot sauce brands. And I've had the opportunity to sample some of these hot sauces. Some of them are mild sauces. He has all different sorts of flavors and all of them with a theme. Um, and I'm very, very proud of what he's doing. Um, and you'll be able to get Bam Sullivan hot sauces or Effie Lives hot sauces. Or um, I think a Rebecca Payne hot sauce is coming up. There's so many, I, I'm not remembering, but there's so many ones themed after wrestlers as well as, I think he also has a Weekend at Bernie's hot sauce themed after the, the notable movie. So, but in here, now we're going to cut a wrestling. Brother. Now let's get a little dark. <laughs> to
0: this is seven. what I was hoping for.
1: <laughs> Your taste buds will burn in a way. He'd never been burned before. For on December 10th, Snack Season presents Grey Wolf Raventhorns, Blood of the Fallen, his hottest sauce to bear.
0: Can you handle the challenge? So there. Very nice. My... Very nice.
1: Sometimes, some people will call that a promo. I call it a cheap plug. <laughs> but it's by no means a cheap plug, because I stand with the utmost confidence behind his hot sources. And I do this—the one that is going to be coming out for me—I've um, spoken with him on, on many, many times, and we've really gone over um, the sort of details behind this source. And mm-hmm. we've agreed: if we really want to capture who I am in this source, it's got to be his hottest one yet. I believe he's going to be using Carolina Reapers for this hot source. Okay. So this one isn't going to be for the light of heart. This is going to no, be a challenge no. <laughs> at his table because he sets up his table with hot sauces at conventions you might have a wolf challenge that if you can handle this hot sauce we give a prize. Who knows? Um, but this is going to be one not for the weak of heart. Even if you just wanted to buy it as a collector's item or one with which you can torment your unsuspecting friends.
0: <laughs> that could that's, be fun. that's not going to be for me. The, the hottest uh, curry that I have is a chicken tikka masala so that's yeah, going to be much much more not necessary. for me not for me i might i might check it out my wife loves loves hot sauce i normally buy it all the time i might check it out but i i won't be going anywhere near that and i'm sorry <laughs> well that's sort of the idea
1: is sort of you know you really have to have a lot of guts to try the gray wolf hot sauce that's a sort that of no i don't No, we we'll do it <laughs>
0: no guts no guts i'm happy well, to admit it no guts <laughs>
1: december 10th snack season yeah Hashtag on Twitter, hashtag snack season. will bring you right to Rich Steve page. Tell him I sent you there. Um, you can scout all sorts of hot sauces. Do, he doesn't just have hot sauces; he has mild sauces, he has honey sauces. He has. Uh, I love the peach hot sauce that he, he has to say. Oh, okay. A mango peach, I believe. Um, very, very good. Um, but he has all sorts of. you any sort of so, so sauce fanatic, I would go check that out. But I will have my own hot sauce. Um, through snap season brands uh, coming out on December 10th and I'm very very excited and Rich Steve I talk about you enough but hello if you're listening as well.
0: Very very cool or not cool very hot maybe but very very cool nonetheless. Um, Awesome man so right what I want to do is um, as I said at the start this is a series I'm going to have loads of independent guys and girls on the show and Give them a chance to sell themselves. And that's what I want to do in this final question. I'm going to start calling this. I think I'm going to call it something like put yourself over or sell yourself or something like this. So I'm going to to give you a couple of minutes at the end of every episode. Just basically sell yourself to anybody watching, anybody listening who might not be familiar with you, familiar with your character and your work before this episode, where they can find you, any shows that you've got coming up soon, any events, anything like that. So, Grey Wolf, put yourself over. Yeah putting me on the spot here. Absolutely. (laughs) All All right.
1: I'll do it. I'll do it my way. Behind every great man in every century, there's been an army. No one has risen to greatness without a force of power behind them. And in this force of power, you must have one person at the helm. You must have one who wields the sword up high and stands upon the precipice of the mountainside, looking down into the battle before him. He raises that sword at the front of the army to the heavens and with a bellowing war cry screams, YERRRAH! Church! I am that leader. Join me. Become one of my army. Get on my back. Behind me on the quests we shall go on, we shall destroy all in our path. For I am Grey Wolf, and with my army behind me, we shall ride into immortality. My brothers and sisters, let us go into the night. Charge now. If you liked any of that, you can follow me. At Grey or at TLW underscore Grey Wolf on Twitter. And if not, well, I I'm sorry, but you're just going to be another one in the way of a sword. And likely your head'll be on the tip of a pike. Um you might be boiled in a pile of hot oil. Um I'm not gonna say we have cannibals in our ranks, but then again, I'm not gonna lie and say we don't. So I'll leave you to speculate. Um join me if you will. We have upcoming events, my tag partner and I. Um, and our tag team tyrant, my, my brother, Woolwolf Creed, and I have a tag team championship match coming up this Friday at LTW against the Money Fight Inc. You could see our promo for that on my Twitter page. Um, we didn't get it done the last couple of times. There was five-man scramble tag team matches and a lot going on. And we were harassed by another team called Boy Band who wanted to dance and torment us. And we had to chase them. <laughs> it was a mess. A very a bloody mess. But this time... We have the tag team champions. One-on-one. Money Inc. Against tyrants. We are showing no quarter. We are showing no mercy. We're coming for
0: gold. And we're coming for skulls. Be there. There we go. Doesn't get much better than that. That's exactly what I was hoping for, man. Brilliant. I feel like I want to go and have a fight now. (laughs) I feel really inspired to just go out and hurt something. Um, just hurt
1: Wolf. yourself in the process.
0: No, that's why I'm not going to, because I probably would. Um, Greywolf, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. I am so happy that you were my first guest on the uni spotlight series I'm really looking forward to doing some more of these, everything that you've mentioned as well, all the shows, all that kind of thing and snack season. I'm going to put that all down in the description so that anybody can just click away and go straight to those pages, those channels, those mediums, whatever they need. Um, yeah. Guys, thank you for, for checking out this first ever episode of the Indie Spotlight Series. Please make sure you subscribe. Please make sure you hit follow wherever you're watching or listening. Please make sure you check out Grey Wolf as well on social media. And I will love to see you next time on It's My Wrestling Podcast Indie Spotlight Series. Be there. for else.
1: Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app.